0: Log Talk Radio.
1: Talk Radio. This is your host, Robert Manny, welcoming you to podcast number 337. And we're going to talk about binging and eating and diet with special guest, Glenn Livingston, PhD, who has a new book called Never Binge Again. Actually, it's not that new, but it's out in uh, print and uh, we're going to get into it. He's got a whole program that he talks about uh, how to deal with your kind of inner pig. And it's pretty funny and it's effective too. So, looking forward to that hope everybody's having a great time this holiday season you know this is that tricky time of year it's a it's a week between uh the time between Christmas and New Year's so at this time the uh some people are back to work some people are shopping are off for the week here in New York City everybody's crowding the streets crowding the stores it was was amazing supposedly amazing retail season for all the businesses so that's kind of good And yet uh, everything's on sale. I was walking uh, through Manhattan today. I had to go someplace uh, in in Midtown and uh, wow, everything's like 70% off, 50% off. All the big retailers, they're really, I guess they're trying to flush out all that winter inventory now and uh, just continuing on where the sales began at Black Friday and I don't think they've stopped But people are buying, so they keep uh, they keep the sales on. And now I think the consumer is kind of trained, has been trained to expect things. You know, used to be you know you got ten or fifteen percent off our sale. That was before the crash of two thousand and eight. Now everybody expects everything to be like forty percent off. And I think actually the pricing has factored in that. You know, the retail prices. You know, you buy a shirt at J Crew or something. A regular shirt it's like eighty dollars. You got to wait till it gets down to 29.99 to get, to get a deal on it, because you know nobody really needs another shirt. But um, it's that time of the year, so here we are in New York City. We had some beautiful weather the last couple of days. We had a very nice Christmas day, also. I had a good Christmas. I visited my family down the Jersey Shore, and it was a great get together and a lot of kids and a lot of gifts for the kids, and uh, everybody had a really good time. I got uh, some Bluetooth uh, Bluetooth earbuds, the uh, Jabra's Active 65T, I think they're called. So far, fantastic. I got my wife a set of wireless uh, Bose, uh, the ones, uh, not the buds itself, not just the two buds connected on a little bit of a wire, even though they're called wireless. Um, she likes it a lot, and the Bose sound is amazing. So anyhow, that was our big present giving to each other. Let's talk about what else, Uh, holiday, Christmas travel. Uh, Wow, it can be tiring. We went down from New York City down to uh, the Jersey Shore, stayed overnight at my place down there, and we came back the next day. And then I worked out that day when I got back. And I've got to tell you, I was, that was yesterday. I was wiped out. I could just about finish my cardio workout. The traveling on the train and then driving in the car and then the subway, it really takes a little bit out of you. So uh, rest up. This is a time of year also when people's immune system with the stress and the hustle bustle, they get worn down. So people take care. You know, at this time of year, it's supposed to be the most wonderful time of year for a lot of people. And again, like I said, I said many times it's not for a lot of people. It's a really tough time of year. So be kind. But also, wow, I'll be glad when these holidays are over. I got to tell you, holidays are just too much work and it's all about these presents and running around and it's like the spirituality the whole thing the love um <clears throat> is expressed in a very to me very odd way around uh, hanukkah and christmas and now it's uh kwanzaa and uh boxing day was yesterday and now we've got new year's coming up and new year's resolutions we'll get into that in a minute um most fantasy football leagues finished up this weekend i actually won my league i was a 26 point underdog and somehow, and it was a wild card team, and I got in, and somehow on the back of Andrew Luck and Alvin Kamara, I, I snuck through there and won the, won the league for the second time in three years, and I was in the final game three years in a row. So I've been on a really great run. And it's tough. I'm in a league with uh, 12 guys, 12 dudes from advertising. They're all pretty smart. They love fantasy football. We've got millennials, we've got GXers, we've got boomers spanning uh, 24 or five years almost now. And it's great because the, these are guys I worked with like 20 years ago. And the only thread that we have to stay together is through this fantasy football league where we get together once a year for the draft. And then we stay in touch and kind of trash each other on the message board and everything. But it's, it's a nice thing. It's, uh, so there's a good, you know, the good part, people say, oh, fantasy baseball and football, stupid, but fantasy football, I like better than the, I, I did rotisserie baseball for many years, it just became too much work, you have to do stuff like every single day, With the football, you know, lead up, you put in a, uh, you put in your lineup at the end of the week, and, or middle of the week, because now there's Thursday games, Thursday, sa- basically, it's Thursday, Sunday, and Monday, uh, until the end of the year, then they have Saturday games to replace the Thursday games. But anyhow, you don't have to do too crazy, go too nuts. You have to keep up with the waiver wires and stuff like that, but it's not that much work and it's fun. And you play one-on-one one team versus the other. It's not just an accumulation of stats like baseball is, but um, it can be a lot of fun and it, it actually keeps people connected. So I think that's a good thing about it all. So in our league also, we, uh, we give like $650, something like that to, uh, to one of the cancer funds because, uh, one of our players, one of our team owners, actually he was my co-team owner, he passed a few years ago and uh, of cancer, and we all, of course, miss him. And uh, so through his um, girlfriend, we, we uh, send in uh, money to the, one of the cancer societies uh, because we just feel that's something we want to do. And the rest of the money, um, you know, the prize money split up a little bit there after that so fantasy football's over congrats to those who won or came into the the money now we've got everything is like nfl football well this weekend nobody cares about really I mean, it's one or two things to, left to be settled uh but otherwise uh, the playoffs are coming off another week then you have the college football uh playoffs begin i think this weekend and now it's, you got a lot of stuff with the nba and all of that and like wow the NBA is different than the other leagues now because it's so player driven. It's like it's like superstar personalities, because I guess, you know, football, they wear the helmets and all of that. You got so many guys on the field and so many guys in and out throughout the game, offense, defense, special teams. And uh, in baseball, you've got, you know, a lot of players, too, and especially situations where, you know, you don't see a lot of players until they get up at bat or unless they're pitching but in basketball, you you know there's no big equipment. They wear it, basically a tank top and shorts, and then there's a ball and a net, and uh, so you've got a lot of personalities. And Le- LeBron James, the shadow that he that looms over, over the league. With him, he's really a superstar um, and gets uh, such great treatment, of course, because he's a cash cow for the league and he's very wisely managed his career now moving to LA and now uh, actively almost, I guess you could, he basically says he recruits other players to come play with him. And um, it'll be interesting to see what happens, but there's a lot of, you know, every, every day there's some article, something about LeBron James and uh, his move to the Lakers, which is a, you know, one of the glory franchises in professional basketball in the NBA. So Anyhow, that's that. Let's talk a little bit about dieting, because at this time of year, we're getting into this is our last podcast of the year. Um, We're going to start out um, next um, Wednesday, January 2nd. We're going to have a a gambling uh, recovery expert on. And I think it's an important message because people gamble a lot at this time of year. But anyhow, this is also a time of year where we get into people make New Year's resolutions. And a lot of it has to do with food. I did a resolution last year. I talked about it on the air, a diet I went on, and I've kept it the entire year, and it's worked. So I'm very pleased with that. Glenn Livingston, our PhD, our uh, guest who's coming on, he's got Never Binge Again. We're going to get into that. He's a psychologist, and he's come up with a program to kind of manage your inner pig, if you will, uh, in terms of how to manage your uh, cravings. And so you don't fall off the wagon and start binging again, because what happens is a lot of people are nervous eaters. I myself would be included in that. And uh, the foods, the food, big food, I guess you would call it. They are really uh, pushing a lot of their products uh, towards us that probably aren't uh, in all that great for us because they've got little things that we find that we crave that are in the foods. And you have to be really selective nowadays about what you eat Uh, And your choices. And it all comes down to when you're going to eat. In my opinion, I'm going to eat this or I'm going to eat that. I'm going to eat this or I'm going to eat that. And you run into those decisions throughout the day, every day. And if you can manage that through self-talk and just setting up some rules, then you're going to be successful. But you got to stick with it. And you don't want to make it. You know, I do hypnosis. And when we work with people, we work with them. There's four or five main main areas one is um, becoming a better sleeper another is becoming a non-smoker another is weight management and uh, another is uh, have better self-esteem and another is be I, say, I think I said becoming a non-smoker but those are the, those are the big ones and notice that none of them were focused on negativity it's not about stopping smoking it's becoming a non-smoker and I think that also is very important when it comes to uh, improving your diet so we're going to talk about that and we're going to bring our special guest on Glenn Livingston on in uh just a moment so let's take a quick break you're listening to guys guys radio you're listening to the guys guy radio all right we're back on guys guys radio this is your host Robert Manny welcoming back to the podcast as you know All of uh, Guys, Guys Radio, the place where men and women can be at their best and everyone wins, all of our podcasts are available on iTunes, Blog Talk Radio, Stitcher, and TuneIn. And as I announced last week, we've got some really big news is that uh, starting next month, and we're working on on the logistics for this, we're going to also be expanding to live terrestrial radio. We're going to be on KCAA in uh, Southern California and we're going to be on Wednesday nights from 8 p.m. to 9 p.m. Uh, weekly. And we're going to be on KCAA 102.3 FM, 106.5 FM, and uh, 1050 AM. And in addition to that, then we will be uh, also available on the iHeart.com network. So we'll, be, we'll have a potential reach of uh, nationally and also of about 40 million people, including where we are right now. So let's, let's see how we do. Um, We want to get some great shows together, and uh, we're very excited about that. So thanks for your support. So let's talk a little bit about our special guest, uh, Glenn Livingston. Um, He is a psychologist. Um, He developed this program, uh, Never Binge Again, uh, following his kind of struggles with his own eating uh, challenges, if you will, and I'm sure he'll get into that for us. Um, he's got a book, it's called Never Binge Again. Let me see if I can find his, uh, his on air intro here. Uh, we'll do it properly. Uh, I'm very pleased that he's on the show because this is the perfect time of year to talk about this kind of stuff. So he's a psychologist, longtime CEO of a multimillion dollar consulting firm, uh, which serviced Fortune 500 clients in the food industry. So that's kind of ironic, but it's good for what he's doing now. You may have seen his company's previous work, theories and research in ma- major pre- pre- periodicals like the New York Times, LA Times, Chicago Sun-Times, etc. He's been all over TV, ABC, WGN, and on radio. And really, uh, background is he's disillusioned by what traditional psychology had to offer overweight and food-obsessed people. So he spent decades researching the nature of binging and overeating, work with his own patients, and a self-funded research program with 40,000 participants. So, wow, that's a lot. More importantly, uh, this was his own personal journey out of o- obesity and what he calls a food prison, prison to a normal, healthy weight, and a much more lighthearted relationship with food. So let's welcome him to Guys Guys Radio, Glenn Livingston, Ph.D. Good evening, Glenn. Welcome to the show.
0: Good evening. It's a delight to be here.
1: Well, thanks so much, and happy holidays to you. And um, do you find, from your background, that you have any challenges when it comes to this time of year? Because uh, I just—I I was at the, you know, the Christmas thing for my family, and I had to like take a step back. I ended up with a salad and uh, a little, a little tiny bit of pasta, and I'm not drinking, so it was like club soda, and everybody else is drinking wine and mac and cheese, and chicken parmesan and all this other stuff and ice <laughs> cream and cakes and pies. And to me, I just, at this point, because I set myself on a diet at the beginning of the year and I don't, I don't even see the stuff anymore. And I think from reading your book, I noticed that, you know, kind of out of sight, out of, at a mind is a good adage, but tell us a little bit about um, your challenges. Do, do you get challenged still during this time of year and uh, your inspiration for putting this uh, program together?
0: I, I have, Cravings for the things that I still eat occasionally, Um, those would be certain types of nuts and, you know, apple cobblers and things like that. The things that I don't eat at all, I don't crave at all anymore. It's a very interesting thing about our physiology. If you don't eat something for long enough, the craving goes away. It's almost like a prisoner that gives up hope. There's no point in us craving things (laughs) we're never going to have, right? That's a great way Um, of putting it. Yeah, and what what I find for myself is the same thing that I find with my clients, which is that if you pre-plan the holidays, and so let, let's say you have a rule that says I only ever have chocolate on the weekends, but you know you're going to the holidays, and this year the holidays are following on, a t- following on a Tuesday, and so you decide that except for four ounces on Christmas and New Year's, you're much better off than just going into Christmas and New Year's and seeing what happens because it turns out that willpower is a fatigable muscle. And what fatigues your willpower and makes it so there are only so many good decisions you can make in a day is decision-making itself. And so if you're, if you're able to eliminate those decisions beforehand, as opposed to having to make decisions all day long on Christmas, then it, it almost doesn't matter to a certain extent what those decisions are. And I, I have people who say, well, I'm going to eat whatever I want, but only one plateful at Christmas and one dessert at Christmas. And they do perfectly fine. Um, but, it, but it's all about defining it beforehand and kind of sticking to, to what you define. Mm-hmm. And as, as far as the peer pressure or feeling like I'm deprived or I don't belong, that doesn't bother me at all anymore because I talk to so many people who –
1: Glenn, I can't hear you. Well, we lost Glenn. Glenn, I'm going to ask you to, uh, I'm going to cut you. I'm going to ask you to call back because we can't hear you right now on the show. So give us a call back and we'll, uh, we'll talk while you're calling us back. Um, I have a bad connection, but, um, what we want to get into with Glenn is uh, what the program actually is because there's so many different types of diet programs where you, uh, you know, everybody's been on a bunch of diets and there's yo-yo dieting uh, where you lose some weight and then you gain it back and, and you go on a fast and you clean yourself out and then you you gain some weight back. And then you go on a intermittent fasting where you can eat six, uh, you know, for six hours a day and then you're not eating for the other uh 18 hours and uh, lots of lots of things that uh, You can try but it always seems to take us back to the same place where you lose the weight and you gain it back and you lose it and you gain it back so I believe what Glenn's uh, working with and uh, something I've attempted to do to the best of my ability this year is to work on my behavior and uh, Not turn it into uh, some type of uh, self-torture. So I think Glenn's back Glenn, we got you back. Thanks. Sorry, we lost you. Hey,
0: where did, where did I lose you?
1: Okay. Um, you were going to tell us about uh, you kind of your inspiration, how you got started with the program. It was like part two of my question.
0: Oh, well, I'm not just a psychologist that decided to work with eating disorders. I had a very serious problem myself for almost 30 years. Um, to make a long story short, I suppose I could say that I never could throw up. I couldn't stick my finger down my throat, but I – I'm 6'4 and fairly muscular, and I decided that if I worked out for about three hours a day, I could eat whatever I wanted to. And it worked until I was 22, 23 years old and married with responsibilities and patients and a commute. Mm-hmm. And then I didn't have time anymore, and I just kept eating and eating anyway. And it really disturbed me because not only was I getting really fat and getting all these warnings from doctors that I was going to die by the time I was 30, but I also was having a hard time staying present in my sessions with my clients. And I was working with a lot of suicidal people. So you really have to be present. I never lost anybody, but it was scary. And I'd be thinking about when I could get a pizza or a chocolate bar or, you know, get out for a shrimp salad sandwich. And being a psychologist from a family of psychologists, I tried to love myself Then I went to every workshop and, you know, psychologist and nutritionist and Overeaters anonymous and anything you could imagine for years and years and years. And I learned a lot. It was a very soulful journey. Sometimes I get a little better, but then I get a lot worse and it just never really stuck until I wound up doing this study. I I, am, I don't have kids and I never commuted. So I had a lot of time for a dual career and I'd done a lot of Mm -hmm. consulting for big advertising companies, big food companies. And I knew how to do these studies. And so I did this study to determine what were people stressed about in in comparison to the foods they had trouble with. I had this hypothesis that different foods were related to different personality stress points. And I found that people who struggled with chocolate like I did they tended to struggle with loneliness or feeling broken hearted or basically stressed in their love life. Mm-hmm. People who struggled, with, um, who struggled with salty, crunchy things, they tended to be stressed at work. And people who struggled with bread and bagels, and pasta and pizza, they tended to be stressed at home. And before I went out and worked with patients about this, I decided to investigate my own history And I asked my mom, I said, Mom, you know, I'm kind of in a bad marriage, and it's understandable that I feel brokenhearted. But why am I running to chocolate all the time? What was it in my history that could have set up this pattern when I felt upset? And my mom said, well, you know, when you were about one, your grandfather was just getting out of prison. And I had idolized this man, and I didn't know he was guilty, and he was. And I was devastated. At the same time, your dad, my husband, was a captain in the army, and in 1965, they were talking about sending him to Vietnam. And I was terrified that I was going to wind up a single mother with, you know, a one-year-old and another one on the way. And so I didn't have the wherewithal. I was depressed all the time. I didn't have the wherewithal to hug you and hold you and feed you when you came running to me. So I put a big bottle of chocolate Bosco syrup in a refrigerator on the floor. And when you came running to me, I'd say, Glenn, go get your Bosco. And you'd go crawling over to the refrigerator, and you'd take out the Bosco, and you'd suck on the bottle, and you'd go into a chocolate-sugar coma. And I've got to tell you, Robert, if this was the movies, then Mom and I would have a big hug and a big cry. Maybe not on the guy, guy, Guy's Guy show, but that's what we're going to do. big hug hug. Okay. We'd have a big hug and a big cry, and we'd forgive each other, and then I'd never have trouble with chocolate again, right? But that's not what actually happened, right? Of course, I hugged my mom and we had some interesting talks and we, I did forgive myself and I forgave her and I felt more compassionate with what I'd been through. But my chocolate eating actually got worse. And the reason it got worse is because there was this crazy voice in my head that said something like, hey, Glenn, you know what? You're right. Your mama didn't love you enough. And she left a big chocolate-sized hole in your heart. And until you can find the love of your life, you're just going to have to go out and binge, 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 binge on chocolate. Yippee, let's go do it. And my chocolate eating got worse. Mm-hmm. And I found very similar things with my patients who were struggling with bagels and chips and all those things. They were using the emotional pain as a justification to keep going. Mm-hmm. What I learned from that was that it wasn't necessarily the emotion. You could think of the emotion as the fire. It was the justification or the hole in the fireplace that allowed the fire to escape that was the problem. It was that voice of rationalization and i had to learn to recognize and disempower that voice to really fix this and i stopped blaming myself i stopped thinking there was something wrong with me i started saying you know what these are very powerful industrial foods that i'm getting hooked on because i was not binging on grapefruits and i don't think many people out there are binging on grapefruits i was i was binging mm-hmm. on chocolate and pizza and donuts and all these industrial foods that didn't exist on the savannah we're not evolutionarily prepared to, to manage. So I took a whole different attitude towards it. I, I'm aware that I'm talking for a long time. You might want to say something, so I'll pause for a moment. But I can tell you exactly what I did go ahead. after that.
1: No. Um, so, let me ask you a question. Um, uh, if, I'm going to ask a personal question because I, I went through your book, I went through the website, and I, I have a couple of spe- specific questions. We'll do it a little bit different tonight. But uh, just getting into your background, um do, were you bulimic? Do you mind if I ask you that?
0: I, what you, you would call it exercise bulimic. I would exercise to get rid of the calories, but I I was never able to stick my finger down my throat. I think I was okay. mildly successful one time trying,
1: but I just couldn't do it. Now, um, that's not all that common for guys. Is that correct? To be bulimic? Versus it's, women. It's
0: much, much less common for men than women, yeah.
1: Okay. And what... Um, Was there a trigger? Were you like um, mistreated to to get to that point? Or was it strictly, as you're describing, like an emotional issue?
0: Well, what I really think, Robert, and after having studied this exhaustively, is that while the emotions might create discomfort and food acts as an anesthetist, it has an anesthetic effect on the emotions, I don't think that the emotions are causing the binge. I think what causes the binge is a desire to get high with these artificially concentrated sources of starch and sugar and fat and oil and excitotoxins. Okay. I I, I'm not like most psychologists who who believe that it's the emotional struggle that causes the binge. Mm -hmm. I think there's a relationship because you might have a desire and, and an association with getting away from those feelings that omits the um, true nature of what's going on. And the true nature is that you're eating things that don't really exist in nature and that these foods are engineered to hit your bliss points without giving you enough nutrition to feel satisfied.
1: Mm-hmm. I think you're so right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, worked n- about- I worked in oh, the food industry. I worked in the food industry big on the client side and then on the agency side advertising all these big foods. And, you know, there was never any discussion about uh, this as an intent, but having to learn, I learning about food, my own eating habits and over the years, you know, uh, and, and I just recently experienced the, you know, when you eliminate foods from your diet, you, you lose the craving. Um, it's uh, so it's, it's amazing. So let's, let's get to this. Um, let's put your story aside for, for a moment and your plan. You, you planned, you use the metaphor of the, the pig and don't eat pig slop, but I went through everything, and my question for you, for our listeners, would be kind of, um, because ultimately, a lot of it is about coaching and um, just in general. What is the concept behind your plan?
0: Well, you don't necessarily need coaching to do it. A lot of people recover without it. Uh, we, we offer coaching for people who want things customized, mm-hmm. but um, the overall concept is that you should stop trying to love yourself thin and switch paradigms. Think of okay. yourself like, think of yourself like an alpha wolf who's dealing with a challenger for leadership. And when a challenger in the pack vies for leadership with the alpha wolf, that alpha wolf doesn't say, Aw, somebody needs a hug." That alpha wolf snarls and says, "Get back in line, or I'll kill you." That's that's the attitude that you have, and and it's mm-hmm. if that, that's what you're facing because the Urge to overeat, it arises mostly from the reptilian brain. And the mm-hmm. reptilian brain is a very primitive part of the brain that doesn't know love. When the when the reptilian brain sees something in the environment, it thinks, Do I eat it? Do I mate with it? Or do I kill it? Eat, mate, mm-hmm. or kill. There's no love there. Let, love and long-term goals and diet and exercise and all that. That's in the upper brain. So This is the embarrassing part. What I did is I decided that my reptilian brain, I was going to call it my pig, my inner pig. Okay. And I was going to draw draw clear lines in the sand with rules. For example, I'll only ever eat chocolate on the last Saturday of the month again. And if I heard any voice in my head that suggested I should do anything besides that, like, oh, Glenn, you worked out hard enough. It doesn't matter. Eat what you want to. Or, oh, Glenn, you can start tomorrow. Or oh, Glenn, chocolate comes from a cocoa bean which grows on a plant, and therefore it's a vegetable. Right. I say, well, that's pig squeal. <laughs> my, my pig is squealing for slop. I don't eat pig slop, and I don't let farm animals tell me what to do. And as crazy as that sounds, it would give me those extra microseconds and the moment of impulse to wake up, remember who I was, what mm-hmm. I wanted to yep. do with, with the food, and And it gave me power that I didn't have before. And it wasn't a miracle. But over time, I really reclaimed my power and I lost all the weight and blah, blah,
1: blah. Now, I I totally get a great answer and I can completely relate to that. Um, Let me me ask you this because I want to ask some questions. And if I was listening to us, these are the questions I'd want to ask. So I'm just going to ask them. Um, Did you, when you, uh, you know, uh, since you had an issue with chocolate, And now you've kind of uh, put it into uh, compartmentalize it like the one Saturday of the month or something like that. Tell us, because I think it's important, the distinction between why you've given yourself a little bit of wiggle room there and uh, versus eliminating completely. Knowing that um, the craving, um, as you say, and I would agree with completely, is that, you know, kind of out of sight, out of mind when you eliminate eating something then you eliminate the craving by leaving it in your diet in just a small increment. Does that, how do you, how do you uh, rationalize that? How 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 does that work for you as an individual in terms of um, managing the pig?
0: That's an excellent question. And with chocolate in particular, after trying six ways to Sunday to find some conditions under which I could have it, I eventually decided probably about four years ago, I think that, I was never going to have it at all. And it's been a lot easier ever since I made that decision. So there are a lot of times when never it's easier than sometimes. Mm-hmm. However, I think of, think of the analogy of a city traffic planner. If you were responsible for conducting the traffic in a city, you would look for the most dangerous intersections and you put stoplights there. But you wouldn't put a stoplight at all the intersections. You would find intersections that were less dangerous and you'd put stop signs there instead. At some some of them you might just put yield signs or a flashing yellow light. And at others you'd put no signs at all all the way out in the country. The reason you do that is because you're trying to optimize two variables at the same time. You're trying to provide maximum safety for the population but also maximum freedom to flow through the city unobstructed. And if you put stop lights at every corner, you'd be unnecessarily mm-hmm. restricting people's freedom. Right. And so that's the attitude that I have about food rules and food plans. I don't want to unnecessarily restrict people's freedom, but I think that right. um, you know, that, that actually can lead towards binging. And the distinction is really whether you can do it or not. And most people, most people can tell in the following way. So, for example, suppose you try to decide between restricting chocolate versus never having it at all well, come up with a rule that would just restrict it like I'll only have chocolate on Saturdays from now on versus I'll never have it at all. And project yourself out into the future an entire year based upon trying to follow both rules. And what do you see? Not just how much weight you've lost, but what's your life like? Are you sleeping better? What's your skin like? Do you have more energy? What's your productivity level like? What's your relationship with other people like? What is your learning capacity Do you exercise? Do you enjoy the outdoors? Walk through a day in both scenarios and carefully compare and contrast the difference. What you're really doing there is tapping into your unconscious sense of whether you can do it or not. If you really are capable, if you're likely to be capable, and it's not certainty, but if you're likely to be capable of managing it conditionally, having a little bit, then there shouldn't be that much difference in those two fantasies. But if those two fantasies look significantly different, then the odds are that you really know that this is something you have to get out of your diet. And you have to remember, there's no doctor that's saying you've got a chocolate deficiency. There's no doctor that's going to tell you that you've got a sugar and flour deficiency. There's no nutritional need for white sugar and flour in the diet. So you don't have to worry. They're not going to find your bones by the refrigerator if you decide that. Never is easier than sometimes. And I have to tell you, for most of my former... Binge foods, I found that never was easier than sometimes. But I work with a lot of people that are not like you and I, Robert, and can actually have some. So that's the methodology that I use to find that.
1: Okay. So when the person um, – well, let's take a, a side step for a second because we were talking about and you had mentioned the, you know, the the food, big food and the, the choices that are out there for us are it, – it's it's like we have to – you have to go out of your way nowadays to eat healthy if you just go along with the flow – you're going to get yourself into uh, your body and your, uh, your mind and a lot of other things. Um, Cause a lot of d- diseases it's been proven um, come, come from the gut uh, begin in the gut. Um, you really today, we need to go out of our way to eat healthy. So um, it seems like the, the other thing is, uh, and I want to get your comments on this is like the hidden amounts of sugar that are in laden in so many different products under various names. Um, and as I mentioned, you know, I work for food companies and nobody ever talked about, well, let's put this in there so we kind of trick the consumer. But they just happen, those things just happen to be in some of the foods. So so what what is what is what are we to do to kind of find healthy choices? What do you suggest to people who are like, gosh, every place I go, I'm at work, we get X amount of time for lunch. We go out and there's fast food. Um, if I'm the fourth person going to McDonald's, you know, I'll get the apple and the salad. That's not that satisfying that type of thing. How do you, how do you t- teach people to manage their day where there uh, there's a social aspect to like what you're going to eat and dealing with that? Because it's not easy for a lot of people.
0: I don't want to come across like a food Nazi. I, I'll tell you that over the years, I've gravitated more and more to an extreme where I, I eat largely fruits and vegetables. That's the, the bulk of my diet. And if most people saw what I actually ate and they considered eating that tomorrow, they'd run away screaming. And so my, you know, my book is completely diet agnostic, and I help people in whatever plan they want to follow. I I just advocate that they think it through beforehand. And so just like I advocate, you can make exceptions if you define them beforehand for Christmas or New Year's. You could also make exceptions when you go out to eat. So maybe what that looks like is, you know, i have one plate of any fish serving they have on the on the menu and one half serving of dessert or two pieces of bread or something like that. You can, and if you're not someone who goes out to eat every day, then maybe that works out for you once or twice a week. Um, I would also tell you though, and really underscore what Robert is saying, which is that if you strive to be normal in our society, then you're going to be dooming yourself to uh, an old age of misery, basically statistically speaking. The, the incidence of cancer and heart disease and diabetes, the, the diet reversible and diet preventable forms of that, is astronomically high. And you can make such a difference in your long-term health and ability to, you know, be independent and energetic and present for life by just making some moderate changes in your diet. It's, it's unbelievable. And so, yes, there's going to be this part of you that says, "Oh my God, I can't deprive myself. This is awful." if I don't eat what everybody else is eating. But mm-hmm. it's not really a question of whether you're going to deprive yourself. It's what are you going to deprive yourself of? Are you going to deprive yourself of, you know, the short-term pleasure of the cakes and beers and donuts? Are you going to deprive yourself of the long-term pleasure of a, you know, healthy, vibrant, long life? And i just rather people make a fully informed decision about that. In social situations, there are ways to take care of the social needs without, coming to the social pressure to eat badly. So if someone offers you a piece of cake, you can recognize that what they're doing is providing you with a love gift to welcome you into the tribe, kind of like, you know, two warring tribes deciding to break bread with each other. Mm-hmm. And you can find a way to, you can say, oh, you know, I ate a little bit too much for lunch. Do you happen to have any mint tea? You can give them something else that they can give you so that they can welcome you with love without drawing direct attention to some argument about whether it's okay to have cake or not, or cause you don't want them to feel guilty about it. They want to be able to eat it. So give them an alternative way to love you back into the tribe and ask for some tea or ask for the recipe or, you know, ask them for, do so they happen to know who won the next game this week. Um, something they can give you to make you feel welcome and make mm-hmm. them feel like they did their
1: job. Okay. Um, how do how should people if they uh what's the first like three steps people should take uh when they when they want to say I want to get hold of uh, uh you know I want to put that pig in place I want to do this program what what are I, there has to be some self analysis um uh, what 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 are the kind of the first three things people should do to get started and kind of managing their the way they eat and becoming binge free There's really just one
0: which is figure out your most significant, most troublesome binge food or eating behavior and make a rule, make a rule so you can play this game and see how it works. So for example, maybe you're always eating in the car. You could say you'll never eat in the car again, or you'll never eat more than once in a week in the car again, or maybe you're overdoing it on pizza. So you could limit yourself to three slices a week, or maybe you eat too fast. So you can say, I'll always put my fork down between bites, whatever it is. Make a rule, and the limit is your imagination, as long as it's a really clear rule so that if I followed you around all day, I'd know whether you did it or not. Mm -hmm. And then come up with a name for your reptilian brain and decide that any urge to break the rule comes from your reptilian brain. And when you hear your reptilian brain telling you why you should break the rule, step back and say, for example, in my case, well, that's pig slop, and I don't eat pig slop. I don't let firemen tell me what to do. If the argument sounds convincing, then look for the lie in the argument. So I guess it's more it, than one thing. I guess I described the whole process. No, what is do. it
1: important, Glenn, to uh, for people to uh, kind of track their progress, or write it down, or have uh, goals about like, okay, I'm going to try this, uh, I'm going to do this for a month, and then then maybe add another item to it, or something like that. Uh, do you? Is there a stair stepping to this? process does that well, help yeah
0: you can you, you can say for the next 30 days i'm going to do an experiment where i don't eat chocolate i will never have chocolate again for the next 30 days mm-hmm. and that's that's a little softer to some people by by the way i'm using the word never in an odd way here it's the same way that you would tell a two-year-old that she could never cross the street without holding your hand All never right. ever 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 but you know that when she's seven or eight, you're going to teach her to look both ways and cross by herself. Mm-hmm. Right. You, you'd say that to the two-year-old. You say never to the two-year-old as if it were etched in stone because she's not capable of entertaining the idea that someday she's going to be mature enough to do that. And you don't want those images darting through her mind. They're too dangerous. It's the same with our pig. You you want the pig to feel like this is etched in stone, even though you know that with experience and education, and wisdom, you might decide to change the plan later on. Okay. So Um, um, go ahead. Go on, Robert.
1: I was just going to ask you about um, sugar. Um, Well, what are the some of the? Because I know, let me uh, frame this the right way. Uh, You have some positive behaviors that you've added. Like now you have uh, the vegetable juice in the morning. I have a big glass of uh, at least 12 ounces of water with a quarter of a organic lemon squeezed in it first thing, drinking a big glass of water every morning, I don't know what it does, but it seems to satiate me, kind of, uh, I'm psychologically thinking that I'm lubricating my system, whatever, but it seems like a really good positive habit. Um, What are, uh, you know, starting your day, you now have vegetable juice, I think, in the morning, and I think you have, like, there's no top on how how many green vegetables that you eat, so talk to us a little bit about some of the positive things that people can do instead of, uh, you know, that they're not denials, <laughs> but things that are adequate, if you will. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I've become a green vegetable, uh, psycho. Mm-hmm. Well, part of what I discovered, and I, I figured this out when I heard Jack Trimpey who works with, um, drug addicts and smoking and things that you can give up entirely. When he said that what goes on with addiction is our bodies have made a biological error. And so for example, a smoker thinks that smoke is oxygen. And one of the things that a smoker can do to find relief when they have a craving is to take three very deep breaths of cool, fresh air, ideally in the mountains or by the ocean. And that if you do that, you're training your biology to reattach to the right thing again. So your survival drive has been corrupted by these industrial foods. And so you want to train it to attach to more natural foods instead. So, Even though every bone in my body felt like this was the wrong thing to do, when I'd have the craving for chocolate, I'd go make myself a banana smoothie with kale juice. And as time went on, I put more and more kale and less bananas in there. And I thought it was crazy. If anybody ever told me that underneath my craving for chocolate was a craving for kale, I would have told them they're out of their mind. But I got to tell you, I started craving the kale six, six to eight weeks later. So one of the things you can do when you have the craving is say, feelings aren't facts. It feels like I need this to survive, but I don't. What could I need to survive? What is my authentic biological need? And maybe you take a half pint of leafy greens and you throw them in the blender with some water and a, and a lemon, something like what Robert's doing, or maybe for you it's some type of whole protein or you know a handful of, of raw almonds or something. I don't know what it would be, but experiment and see what you could authentically be craving. So you don't, you don't just have to tough it out. You don't just have to be miserable. You can teach your body to be nourished on the things that it's supposed to be nourished on and to stop craving the, um, the addictive food. Is that what you're getting okay. at?
1: Yes, absolutely. Um, at the end of the day then Glenn, uh, cause there's another, you know, key point before you kind of, when you put your head on the pillow, do you, uh, suggest that, um, folks uh, who are on the program kind of assess how they did during the day and give themselves kind of a psychological pat on the back? Or is that necessary? Is that a good, I know it, I don't think it could be a bad thing, but there, there's a lot of, do you have check-ins for people? Is that important? Because sometimes you go on these diet things and if it's, if it doesn't have uh, concrete markers, people get, they get off the road very quickly.
0: Yeah. What you want to do is teach yourself to collect evidence of success. And sometimes evidence, evidence of success could be, well, I just had five cupcakes instead of 15. You know, it doesn't have to be that you were perfect. It just has to be that you're going in the right direction. If you teach your brain to collect evidence of success, then you'll build a success identity and you'll believe that you can do it over time. If you collect evidence of failure, then you're going to build a failure identity and it'll get worse over time. The key okay. is in the question that you ask yourself. If you ask yourself, why can't I do X, Y, and Z? Like, why can't I stop eating? Then you're, to, you're teaching your brain to look for evidence that you can't stop eating. And before you know it, you're going to believe you can't stop eating. But if you ask yourself, how can I stop eating? Then you'll look for evidence of success. and You'll say, oh, well, I did this and this and this and therefore I'm becoming more successful all the time.
1: Okay. Uh, good answer. Um, so let's say you decide, OK, step one, I know what my weak point is. I love uh, peanut butter or whatever. Uh, even if you eat only 100 percent organic Valencia peanuts, you love peanut butter and you just can't get it out of your system. Um, so you you put it on kind of on the side. You say, all right, I'll only eat it on Sunday for the for the next month. And then the month is up and then you say, OK, next month, I'm not going to eat it at all. All right. And, and you're scoring. You're scoring some points. How do you um, b- build the program then?
0: Well, from there, I'd ask if you're happy with the results. Are you losing the weight you want to lose? How are you feeling physically? Is this how you want to treat yourself nutritionally? Is there anything you'd like to do better? And most people will zero in on the next thing that they need to do. And, and a lot of people want me to tell them, but I find it's very individual. And people know where they're getting the extra calories. They know where they're eating junk. And, or they know that they need a little bit of exercise. They, they know what's next. So I ask people to be very sensitive to themselves and ask themselves, well, what's, what's the next rule? If you're not losing weight fast enough, and I don't like when people lose weight more than a pound or two a week because it otherwise tends to rebound. But if you're not losing weight, then probably there's some other source of empty calories that you might want to reduce or eliminate. Um, there might be some more nutrition that you need to add or you might need to create a little bit of a deficit by creating some portion control. So it's, it's kind of like that, or or maybe adding some exercise or something like that.
1: Okay. I'm very, uh, very
0: sensitive to people's intuition.
1: mm -hmm. Now uh, over time um, with this out of sight, out of mind, that's my phrase, not yours in this. So where do you go? Let's say you're scoring points, you're succeeding, and then you've taken another food. Like let's say it's, you know, pumpkin pie or whatever, and you you eliminate that, or first you you limit it, and then you step, stare it down, and then it's out, and you keep going. Does does this just become an ongoing lifestyle shift? Uh, No, it's not a diet. It becomes a a different way of living. I would assume that's the case.
0: I call it a food plan as opposed to a diet because you're trying to find. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I
1: got you. But that's 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 but, the that's but, but, the, that's but, the the goal is to like just keep it going, I guess. Lifestyle.
0: You're looking to you're looking to optimize the plan, just like a city traffic planner. You want to get to the point where you don't need any more traffic lights, and you know the traffic is moving through, through the city. There's a minimum of accidents. People are happy and safe and getting where they need to go. And and then you want to you want to let it become not the focus of your life. This is. I don't believe that former food addicts have to spend a lifetime in meetings or, you know, praying or spending their days meditating on their navel to be sure mm-hmm. that they don't you know, eat badly. I think that you just get the right focus and rules in place. You learn the rules of the road, and then it becomes second nature to drive, and you think about other things.
1: Yeah, you know, it's interesting. Uh, this past year, I I gave us some different things, uh, but one of the things I did, I, I I gave myself a challenge. I said, and I'm just a social Drinker, I said no alcohol for a year. I wanted to see if I could do it. I've done it like five, six months at a time, and it's interesting when you talk to people and you mention it, they they immediately think that you're an alcoholic, <laughs> that you you drunk, you know that you had to do it. That's our that's our culture, and I'm coming to a bigger question on that. So. So for instance, so I stopped mentioning it to people uh, in social situations. It would make me feel better because I would say, wow, I haven't had a drink uh, you know, since the beginning, since last year or something. And immediately I could see people think, oh, did you have to, do you have a problem, whatever? And the answer is no. But well, why can't you just give something up that you know is probably not doing you anything, any good besides sometimes it's a nice taste or whatever, if you have a refined spirit or wine or beer or whatever. But um, Our culture, it seems to me, Glenn, that our our culture is one that we have to shake off the shackles of our culture to really live healthy lives. Would you agree? Yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh, I mean, you know, if you give up drugs, then you're becoming more socially acceptable in most circles. Mm -hmm. If you give up junk food or alcohol, you're becoming less socially acceptable in most circles. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and, and you, 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 you have That's to. I, I haven't had a drink. I haven't, I haven't had a drink in 30 years, Robert. Just, wow. just because I don't like it. I'm not an mm-hmm. alcoholic. I one day just woke up and said, this stuff depresses me. I feel depressed for mm. days after I have alcohol. I don't know why. It's My body chemistry, whatever. I just don't like it. I'm not going to do it anymore. And nobody understands. I eventually just say, well, I don't drink because I don't want to. And let's talk about something else. Um, yeah, but you, you have to become. You need to seek out your own social support systems. You need to find people who will elevate you. And the average person, there's a tacit agreement in our society to kill ourselves slowly with food. It's mm-hmm. crazy. Yeah. Yeah. It's really crazy.
1: I don't know if it's happened with you as it has with me, but over time, as I've I've been very mindful, and I think that's the key word for any of our listeners who are, who are going to embark on something like this is just being mindful about what you eat. And like I can't, I see a commercial now for McDonald's or something like that, and I'm I wonder to myself, and I'm not trashing McDonald's or anything, but I say to myself, wow, I don't like I haven't been in a McDonald's in like ten years, and I just it's just not on my consideration list for for whatever reason, but it's really tough for people to, um, to break out of uh, the shackles that we have in terms of kind of big food and fast food. And our lifestyle is conducive to get something eat and run or eat at your desk. And uh, it's not very, I don't think it's very healthy to do that, but the biggest thing I've gotten out of my own personal change, I don't know about you is not just, you know, losing weight and feeling better and more energy, but, I actually, the biggest thing I've noticed is mental clarity. Could you talk to us a little bit about that? And then we'll, then we'll wrap up after that.
0: Well, the, if you haven't made clear food decisions beforehand, then all of the temptation you walk by every day, all of your memories require constant obsession to decide whether you're going to do it or not. But if you've made your decisions, then there's nothing that your pig can say to get your attention. Because if I'm never going to have chocolate again, what possible argument can my pig make to have a chocolate bar at Starbucks that I have to listen to? Never. Because I've decided to become the kind of person that doesn't eat chocolate. So all that mental energy, oh, maybe I will do it. How much am I going to have? How am I going to make up for it? Should I do an extra hour on the treadmill tonight? Um, I, don't want, I don't want anybody to know. Or how am I going to hide the wrappers? all that, it just goes, it goes away. And what you're left with is presence. What you're left with is a mindful connection to your environment and the people that you love. And I, I noticed that everyone was smiling at me when I finally got to the point that I let go of a lot of these foods because all mm-hmm. of a sudden I was there. I think they were always smiling, but I didn't know it because I wasn't there. Then all of a mm-hmm. sudden I was there. So That's yeah, a great point. mental clarity is, probably the best benefit
1: well listen the name of the book everybody is never binge again reprogram yourself to think like a permanently thin person stop overeating and binge eating and stick to the food plan of your choice glenn livingston phd uh i want to commend you on taking uh, your own personal challenges and not only um working with them but also uh using that to help other people um, and I know you're doing marketing around it and all that, but th- that's, that's good, and you're, you're putting something out there that ultimately individuals, people out there will benefit, so my hat's off to you on that, Glenn, and um, thank you so much for being on Guys Guys Radio, and please take a few moments and tell everybody where they can find out more about the book, because I know I think you can download it uh, for free and, uh, and some other information. I listened to one of your other podcasts today. It was very good. Yeah. Uh, just tell, tell yeah. our audience where they can find out more about your program
0: oh, it's and really you. simple just go to never and me too just go to never binge and click the big red button that'll take you to the free bonus list and among the free bonuses are a free copy of the book in kindle nook or pdf format i have a set of food plan starter templates so this is a set of hypothetical rules that you can use regardless of the dietary philosophy you want to follow we have one for ketogenic. We have one for macrobiotic. We have one for point counters. We have one for calorie counters. We have one for uh, vegans. Whatever your philosophy happens to be, you'll find a food plan starter template for you. And then we will also give you a set of recorded coaching sessions for free. The reason I did that full-length recorded coaching sessions is that this is a darn weird thing in theory. You must be thinking, wait a minute. So there's this famous psychologist and he's got a pig inside them. And what the hell is Robert having him on a show for? It it sounds really weird and harsh, but it's not. It's a very life-giving, self-esteem enhancing, compassion producing process that takes people who are feeling very despairing and very hopeless about ever recovering from their own food addiction and restores their power in as little as one session. And I wanted you to hear that for yourself. So they're There's about a half a dozen sessions you can hear when you sign up for that. It's all at NeverBingeAgain.com. Click the big red button. You can contact me there, too.
1: Great. Uh, Listen, great job, Glenn, and a pleasure meeting you. And uh, congratulations on all the work you're doing uh, on yourself as well as uh, helping other people. And thanks so much for being on Guys, Guys Radio. I hope you enjoyed it. Okay.
0: I did very much.
1: All right. All right. Thank you, Glenn, and happy New Year to you. Thanks, Robert. Nice nice to talk to you. Let me know when. All right. You too. All right. Ciao. Okay, that's our show. Um let's take a break and then we're going to just get back and I have a couple of closing comments to close the year, and so let's do that. The guys'
0: guy radio.
1: All right, we're back on Guys Guys Radio. I just want to wrap up uh you know the year. I know 2018 for a lot of people was a divisive year and it was a tough year um i put my head down and worked really hard on uh, getting a lot of things a lot of things going i really worked hard on the podcast if you want to support us and it's paid off because now we're going on terrestrial radio if you want to support us go on itunes do a rating they have a rating system you can review or you can subscribe that would be great um Buy my book, *The Guys, Guys, Guide to Love*. Uh, it's a novel about two guys in advertising competing for love, sex, power, and money. You can hit me up on Facebook, my website, robertmanny.com, where all my information is. I'm on Instagram, every every place else socially. But uh, you know, you you can if you work hard and, and you diversify, you can you can make things happen. And uh, you know, a lot of people in this country in America they talk about how we're divided and how. You know, it's not the place it used to be. And it's very easy to think that. And I find myself falling into that also. But I want to I was just reading something today and I was so impressed and it reminded me of what a, a special country we live in. Now, putting let's put our politics aside for this. But I was reading about uh, a very well-known new member of Congress um, and she's a kind of a polarizing figure. I, I admit Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. And she's a very progressive uh, liberal democrat and she was uh she ran she was working in a bar a year ago she ran uh she felt uh, strongly about some of her feelings about what's going on in our society she ran against republican joe crowley representative joe crowley who was the democrat incumbent for many years and she basically kicked his butt and uh she um was elected into the Congress. And I think the next step for her is going to be Senate. She was, uh, she was bartending a year ago. She just bought her first couch and, uh, and she just got health insurance. So she says, quote unquote, don't worry. Growth doesn't happen in a straight line. We're all closer than we believe. And to me, regardless of what she's already taken on Jeff Bezos, uh, because with the Amazon and they're building a second headquarters here in New York. And uh, she's very scrappy Um, She's headed to Washington to represent uh, New York City, uh, not New York City, New York State. And um, it's just it's a reflection of regardless of what your politics are that, you know, you can make a difference. If you decide this is what I want to do and you work hard, you have a good shot. You have your shot, whether you get elected or not or whether you become uh, well known or if you want to contribute. I think the thing is this if you put, put place your goals on doing the work, that good things will happen. Uh, of course you've got to do, whether it's uh, podcasting or writing or running for office, you've got to do some self promotion and all of that, but you want to focus on the work. And I think when you do that and you, you want to help people again, putting politics aside, no matter what side of the fence you're on, that you get help. You get help from quote unquote kind of source or the universe And it's, it's all about giving. And, and that's, and I think in America, a lot of people, uh, focus on their dreams and focus on doing the work because in this country, still more than any other country, you can break through from nothing and you can break through quickly, particularly with the advent of social media, where we hear about people who would have been kind of completely overlooked and lost even, uh, 25 years ago, social media has changed everything. And uh, hey, I put this podcast together uh, about four years ago, and now I'm getting a crack on terrestrial radio. So, and I thank you because people are listening and we, I'm focused on the work. I haven't been focused on a reward, but I actually got invited on KCAA as a guest on somebody else's show. And after the show, they said, hey, the producer wants to talk to you. And he said, hey, why don't you come on our network? So that's, that's how it can work. Focusing on the work. So anyhow, I wish you a really wonderful um, 2019 and a couple of days leading up to it. And I can't wait to get started. But we're going to have, we're going to do some things with the show where some of the some of the shows are going to be on KCAA radio, and but they'll all be on uh, Blog Talk and iTunes, etc. But not every one of our podcasts is going to be on terrestrial radio. Uh, But The ones we uh, send in are going to be on KCAA and they're going to be on iHeart. So we'll be all over nationwide and beyond. So really looking forward to 2019 and I got some other projects in the works. So I just want to thank uh, all the listeners and for the support and hope you've enjoyed. What we're trying to do is just bring you people where I interview them on your behalf and say, let's squeeze some information out of these people and see what they have to say. How can they help? Do they have something to offer? And then you make a determination. Hey, I like what this person had to say, or maybe I don't like everything they had to say, but I got a good concept or two out of it. And that's what we aim to do. So it's positive building and just build on that. So anyhow, have a great uh, remainder of the year, happy new year. And we'll see you back here on January 2nd. Uh, we got Arnie Wexler. We're going to talk about gambling add- addictions because, particularly at this time of year with all the football, there's a lot of gambling going on. And uh, we'll discuss, and it's getting bigger and bigger. So, anyhow, remember like I always like to say, guys, guys, finish first.